So we're in our sixth week here of our series called Created a Dream, where we've been walking through this uh, 40-day journey of understanding why God has put us on earth even in a very simple way. In the past many weeks, we've talked about our dreams and the decisions we have to make and then the delays and the difficulties and even the dead ends that come to us. But then we looked this week at this idea of how do we have breakthrough or what we would call deliverance. Because we want to embrace this idea that we are here on earth for a purpose and that God is going to use us all in mighty ways to accomplish his end, that he does have a plan for our life and that even a dream for our life, no matter what season we may be in, that all of us as we walk together faithfully and being fully devoted followers of Jesus learn in each season what God would do with us, that there's a great purpose that he has for us. And And the truth is, is what we've tried to look at in this 40-day series is to understand that there's more to do than we can possibly imagine if we trust God in the details. And to know, too, that that's why he's made us, so that he could use us for his purposes here on earth. Now, the problem for most of us is we we hit a, a brick wall usually, and it comes to do with our mind, right? We get these mental blocks. We We have these emotional barriers that pop in all the time saying, how could God ever use me? There's just no way. We know this much to be true, though, is that he does want to use us. And we have scripture to tell us in many different ways that that's exactly what God's going to do. And that it's all about thinking beyond our imagination. Now, when we think about it, we talked about this in the first week, is that every great accomplishment that's ever happened in, in human history has begun as an idea in somebody's imagination. That it starts with a thought in our minds before it actually becomes a reality. And psychologists tell us that if you really want to live, you have to learn to have a dream. I'm reminded of our daughter, Sarah, who went to live in France her senior year in high school. That They said as she went through the orientation that she would finally know that she had made it as an exchange student when she would begin to dream in her new language, in the language of the French people, that that meant that she had sort of pushed through in a very concrete way. And so in a similar kind of way, it's that dream and understanding what God has for us that we want to unpack even more so today, especially as we think about where we've been and to realize the delays and the difficulties that have come to us. And even it seems as though we're at a dead end. But we know, and we're going to look at the story of Scripture today, that God does show up in those moments when we think uh, we can't go any farther. Before we get there, though, let's be reminded that uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Once we are all in with God, we can only begin to imagine what he would do with us. The truth is, many of us don't have an idea what God could do with our life. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, With God's power working in us, God can do much, much more than anything we could ask or imagine. And it's that imagination that we have that helps us understand that, that the ability we have to imagine is one of the things that makes us a human being, that makes us different from all the rest of the animals, and just underscores the fact that we're created in God's image. And so like our Creator, like our Heavenly Father, we are creative, that we have the ability to imagine Even Napoleon said, imagination rules the world. Or as we saw before, Albert Einstein reminds us that imagination is more important than knowledge. Now what I want to do today is to stretch how we think about our imagination. 
because I think that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to think new and fresh thoughts in terms of how he's created us. He wants us to imagine how he could use us in ways that we've never thought about. So today we're going to look at a story out of the Old Testament about a particular person who had faith and who was used by God because they allowed God to stretch his mind to think in new ways. We're going to look at this man named Joshua. He comes to us in the early part of the Old Testament. And we're going to look at four what I would call secrets of being used by God from Joshua's life. The first point, if you want to be used by God, if we want God's blessing on our life, if we want to understand his dream, is that we need to let go of doubt. Because you see, doubt is the great enemy of God's dream. And we've talked about this before, because what happens? Doubt can cause procrastination. Doubt can also cause us to miss out on what God has for us. Because we end up saying, I doubt that God could use me in such a great way. I mean, look at my me. I, there's no way he could use me. And then we start coming up with all sorts of excuses. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 5 through 7, Anyone who doubts is like a wave on the sea, blown up and down by the wind. They should not think they will receive anything from the Lord. So what does that say? Before we can be used by God in a great way, we've got to deal with this doubt issue. And the truth is, God can use us in many great ways. And we know Joshua, like Moses before him, he had a doubt problem. And so as we look at this story of Joshua, we're going to see that really what he wrestled with was self-confidence. And I'll be honest, I think that's many of our stories, right? We just didn't feel very confident, especially when we think about leading in our faith. Why was that? The first was that he was the successor to Moses. Can you imagine what that was all about? Can you imagine being sort of the, the next chapter or the sequel to Moses' life? Okay, no, right? Because when we read Deuteronomy, it actually at one point says that he was the greatest man who ever lived. And, oh, yeah, now, by the way, here's Joshua. Yeah, yikes. It's not only that, but it's also the assignment that God gave him where Joshua gets to go in and take the promised land. He's going to take these Israelites who have been wandering around the wilderness for 40 years, and he's going to lead them into the promised land this uh, area of what is now Israel. And yet there's only one problem. It's, uh, by the way, it's inhabited by seven enemy nations. And by the way, they're all bigger and stronger than you guys. Uh, but guess what? You're going to take it over. And we're going to see that here in the scriptures. So Joshua becomes our, our model this morning of what to do when we have doubt. In fact, we know that Joshua had a lot of fear and that he didn't have a lot of confidence in his ability so they're just on the verge of beginning this military campaign before they're going in to take the promised land. And they're standing there on the banks of the Jordan River, and they're getting ready to cross over. And the night before, God says, I'm going to give you a little pep talk, just the way he tends to work, right? So here in Joshua chapter 1, four times God says to Joshua, be determined and confident. God says to Joshua, the first thing you're going to have to do, if I'm going to use you, is you've got to let go of all that doubt. Here in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, it says, Be bold and strong. Banish fear and doubt, for remember the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You need to underscore that word banish. I love that word. And what does that mean? Well, it basically means you've got to get rid of it. You've got to throw it away. You've got to get it out of sight. You've got to dump it, leave it behind. And if God's going to use you, the first thing we have to do is understand that we've got to dump our doubts. Now, most of us will respond like Joshua probably did. It's like, that's a hard thing to do, right? But no, it's not. It's like everything else, it's a choice. If we're going to 
uh, dump our doubts, we've got to choose to do that. Just like happiness is a choice. And so when we exercise our doubt, what we're doing is we're actually choosing to doubt. And I'm not just talking about the idea of having the power of positive thinking, but the reality is it's a choice like any other attitude. Even our faith is a choice. Doubt is a choice. So let me say it this way. Whenever you're doubting God or your abilities or other people, you are choosing to doubt. So let me ask you this question. Why do we have so many self-doubts about God using us? Well, there's two things that stand out. First is we compare my abilities. And what I mean by that is that when we compare our abilities to others, then we begin to doubt our own abilities. Instead of looking God to be our provider, and we start looking around at everybody else, we realize, well, I'm not wired like them, so how can I possibly do that? Well, we need to see that God has made us who we are. He's called us to be and has placed in our hearts, in our minds, in our spiritual giftings, those things can, that we can make a difference with. Okay, maybe they do have more education or maybe they do have more experience, but we're not who they are. We're who we are. Uh, we are who God has made us to be. And so when we start comparing ourselves to other people, then that's when self-doubt can roll right in. And God tells us not to do that. That's what he's telling Joshua here. And so God uses ordinary people like you and me. God uses the weak. He uses the broken. He uses people with problems. God uses people with mixed motivations even. God uses people that are dysfunctional. God doesn't want us to compare ourselves to anybody else. He wants us to understand that we're created in his image as his sons and daughters. He wants us to be who we are. He wants you to be you. He doesn't want you to compare yourself. And so the other thing that causes us to have self-doubt is when we spend time thinking about our failures. And in both these cases, the evil one likes to have a heyday. Because when we remember our past, we begin to think about our failures. And we need to realize that that's not where God will take us. Now, we need to say, too, that our past is our prologue. So the things we have pushed through, the failures and the difficulties and all the things that we've experienced, those have all shaped us to become the men and women that we are, to be able to bring about the kingdom in the way that God would have us. And we can't get stuck there, that God doesn't want us focusing on our past. He wants us to focus on our future. And if you've read the Bible anytime lately, you know what? It's full of people who did not exactly have sterling resume. Their past was quite checkered, right? When we think about Moses, he was a murderer before he became the great leader. Or how about Jacob? He stole his family inheritance. Or how about King David? He was an adulterer. And then to add to it, he became a murderer. And that's not good stuff, is it? None of that's good. And yet, we think about Abraham, and he gave his wife away twice, the scriptures tell us all because he was trying to save his own skin. And what about Paul? He was basically a religious terrorist before God got a hold of him. And then our friend Peter, my hero, he was kind of a knucklehead. He was hard driving and hard drinking probably and hard cussing because he was a man of the sea. You know, he was a fisherman. And yet all of us can see when we look at this list that uh, God can still say, I'll use you. Now, what I am saying is this, is that God uses people who are broken. And I'm glad that's a true statement because I don't know about the people you spend time with, but I know the people I spend time with and they're broken too. 
And I think it's beautiful to be able to say that God doesn't care where we've been or what we've done, but what really matters is where we're walking towards, right? And I think that's what really matters here is about where we're going, not where we've been, but where we're walking towards in our spiritual journey. In fact, it's interesting if you just think about who we are as human beings is that everything that we do is pointed forward, right? Not about the past. It is about walking just our simple bodies. of Our eyes face forward and our legs face forward and our arms face forward. It reminds us that God wants us to move in a positive direction. So I think it's really about walking towards where God would have us be and to not let our past, our doubts and our guilt and our shame, to not allow any of that to keep us from being used by God. Because basically what God is saying to us, I don't care what your past is, I want to use you. Now that's a beautiful thing, right? And then that leads us to the second point of how to be used by God, which is we need to look for a promise. And it's interesting here, this word promise, is it's an important word in the life of Joshua. And it really is a key to his success. And it's interesting that in the book of Joshua, the word promise is used 13 times. Now, if we were to summarize the life of Joshua in one simple phrase, it would be capture the promised land. And what is that all about? Well, it's something that God had promised to him. So as we begin here in Joshua chapter 1, we're standing at the edge of the Jordan River. And we're getting ready to go into this major conflict, this major battle, this major campaign effort, right? And God says something to Joshua. He's basically saying, let's just remind ourselves of the promise that I made. In fact, in Joshua 1, 3, it says, God says, I promised Moses that I would give you this land, so I will give you every place you go in the land. Now, that phrase, so I will, helps us to understand very surely that God cannot lie, that he makes a promise to Joshua, and similarly, he makes promises to us. And when he makes those promises, he keeps it. If he says, I'm going to use you, he will use you. And if he says, I'm going to bless you, he's going to bless you. And if he says, I will protect you, he will protect you because God cannot lie. And what's interesting at the end of Joshua's life, many years later, when he's an old man and he's about ready to die and he looks back over his life and he sees that they have conquered all that God said he would conquer. Here in Joshua chapter 23, verse 14 It says, now my time has come to die, and every one of you knows that God has given you all the good things that he promised. Every promise he has made, he has kept. No one has failed. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be used by God that way. And in order for us to do that, we just have to get into his word, right? There are over 7,000 promises that are made in scripture. And it's almost like it's a blank check waiting for us to cash. And so I want to say that if we want to grow in our faith, then we've got to build it on the promises of God. Now, let me ask you this. What does God promise us if we say, I want to be used? There's three things here in Joshua chapter 1. First, he promises strength. Here in verse 5, God says, no one will be able to stand against you. Well, that's an encouraging thought, right? What God's saying here is that if he's going to ask you to do something, he's going to give you the power to do it. And he'll also give you the strength to do it. What we say, where he guides, he provides. Not only does he give us the strength, but the second thing he does here in the promise is to give us success. In verse 7, it says, he says you will be successful. 
I think we need to see here clearly that God wants us to succeed in serving him. Now, that doesn't mean it isn't going to be without difficulty or denials or even delays, right? But he doesn't want us to be a failure. He wants us to be able to say that we've succeeded for him. And it's interesting here in this chapter, he says, you will be a success. Or maybe he's saying that you can count on it. Let's say it this way. He's not promising to make you or me a success at what you or I want to do. In fact, if that's the case, we're going to fail. That's why we stumble and can't quite figure it out. Because often we're doing what we want to do or what you want to do and not what God wants us to do. So if we want to be successful in life, it's real simple. Start doing what God made you to do and you will be guaranteed to be a success at it. Now, we also need to remind ourselves that uh, God does not guarantee that our success is going to be something that will be a lot of fun. That's not the way it works. Now, God does guarantee us success at what he put us on earth here to do and to be. And if we're not succeeding, the issue may be that we need to change course and get in and on what God planned for us to do. And finally, the third promise is his support. He says here in verse 9, I will be with you wherever you go. Well, that's an encouraging thought, right? That God says very clearly that God's word done God's way will not lack God's support. I don't know about you, but I know I want to move from being depressed and being discouraged and being defeated. And it's all about trusting and accepting God. And so there's only one way to do that. And that's to stand on his promises, to get the promises of God sure in our life. And as I said, there's over 7,000 promises in the scriptures, and we need to get into it and discover them. And that's where we got to start, and then to build our lives based upon that. Now let's continue here. In the next verse, it says in Joshua 1.8, Always remember what is written in this book. Study it day and night to be sure to obey everything that's written there. If you do this, you will be wise and successful in everything. You ought to underline that wise and successful in everything. Now, that's a beautiful promise. Well, let me ask you, how many of you would like to be wise in life? Yep, me. Or how many of us would say, I'd like to be successful in life? Me again, and hopefully you too. So the Bible tells us how to get there, and it's right here. And that we need to see that God's promise of success is not based on our ability, which is a good thing. Thank you very much. It's not based on our abilities, yours or mine. It's based on our commitment to his word. And so we need to see here that these three things, you need to remember the word, you need to study the word, and you need to obey the word. And if you remember it and you study it and obey it, your life will be different. Your life will be sure. And then the third point about being used by God, this third secret, is to lean on the Lord. Well, there's a concept. We talked about that even last week, right? that we got to let go of our doubt and we got to look for a promise and then we lean on God. And where this leaning is more than just believing, it means that we are dependent upon him. Now, let me ask you this. What do you do when you're leaning on something? Well, it, it's all about this, right? When you lean on something, it means you're trusting it to hold you up. And that's what it means to lean, that we're trusting something or we're trusting God here to hold us up. And we can say it very clearly that when you lean on God, it means more than just believing. It means, oh, I am trusting him to make it all work. Again, here in Joshua chapter 1, in verse 5, God says, No one will be able to defeat you all your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forget you. 
That's a pretty good thing to wrap our minds around, right? He says, you can lean on me. And so as long as Joshua leaned on God, he was undefeatable, the scriptures tell us. He was victorious in every single battle as long as he was dependent on the Lord. Basically, Joshua accomplished the impossible. It was incredible odds because of what? Because he was leaning on the Lord. Now, it's interesting in this passage, God says four times, be confident, don't doubt, be strong, be determined, because you see, you lose your fear when God is near. I love that statement. Truth is, he says, I'm never going to leave you. You can lean on me. So here's where we go to a little meddling this week. Who or what are you leaning on for strength? Or what is the source of your strength? Is it somebody else? Are you leaning on the approval of other people for your strength? All I can tell you is that's a pretty shaky place to be. Because the reality is people are going to let you down. Because you know what? Here's a little secret. Nobody can hold you up all the time because they're human beings. And that's where we sometimes fall short, right? And so if we put all our trust in another person, all our strength is depending on them to hold you up, then guess what? There's going to be a day where they're going to get tired of it and they're going to let you down and you're going to get dropped. And it may not be that they want to do that, but it's just because this is just the plight of being human, that we need to be focused on who God is. And so the reality is if we can't trust other people to hold us up, uh, sometimes we need to be reminded that we can't even trust ourselves, right? I don't know about you, but I, I've discovered that I often let myself down, right? I make promises to myself all the time that I don't keep, that I let myself down. I, I know I, let, I disappoint myself. So we need to be reminded, the, the writer of Proverbs says it so clearly here, right? Proverbs 3, 5, that what? You trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. You see, I know that leaning on the Lord can be a, a frightful thing. It can be kind of scary. It can be downright scary. And yet, it can be uncomfortable sometimes. Even to the point where we ask that question in our own mind, you know, is God going to come through? Is he going to show up? Is he going to be there to make it work? And that's what leaning with faith is all about. And then we find out that as we look at the scriptures, there's story upon story of how God has shown up and that he is true, that he will hold us up. So we come to this fourth point where we have to do what? Launch out in faith. And what that means is that we have to come to a point where we stop discussing it and we stop talking about it and we stop thinking about it and we stop praying about it. And we actually just step out on faith in spite of what we may feel in spite of our fears, in spite of our doubts, it doesn't have to be a big step, but we do have to do something that shows faith in our life. Again, here in Joshua chapter 1, here in verse 10, then Joshua issued instructions to the leaders to tell the people to get ready to cross the Jordan River. This was the moment of truth. They had to go for it. They had to get in gear. They had to get moving. They had to lay it all on the line. They had to literally take the plunge. I mean, literally in this story, because that's how they're going to cross the river right here. Now, it's interesting, the Jordan River, once they crossed it, they were going to be able then to get into this battle to take over the nation, to take the promised land. Now, just to give us some context, the Jordan River isn't a very big river. It's only about 100 feet wide and about 20 feet deep, except for in flood season. 
which is when all the snow melts and the, the water comes down off the mountains. Well, guess what? That's exactly when this story takes place. So it's interesting that we've got this giant, rushing, torrential, very dangerous river right in front of them. And what's interesting is that God's going to do what God has done before, but he's going to do it in a different way. And what's interesting in this story is that, and it's very typical of our God, right? He's going to put them right there at this moment in flood season when everything is looking like it's beyond overwhelming. And then they're all looking at each other going, how are we going to get across? Because what? There aren't any bridges and there isn't any pontoons to put out on. And so how is Joshua going to get this entire group of people across this raging river? And what's interesting is we read the story here. God says, basically, I'm going to do a miracle. He reminds them, you remember 40 years ago, we did this thing at the Red Sea when he parted the Red Sea and then you walked through it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They all said, we remember that. Well, guess what? He says, I'm going to do it again, but it's going to be different this time. He said, at the Red Sea, I opened the waters, and then you walk through it. But this time, I want you to start walking through it yourself. I want you to take the first step. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to dam up the water upstream, and then the waters will recede. But guess what? I want you to take the first step. And this is basically a test. It's a test of faith. So the spiritual leaders got at the front, and they began to walk into the water, And God does a miracle there and then. And he dammed it up, and the waters receded, and the people crossed over. So all of this to get us to this point of asking this question, and it's getting into a little meddling for each of us, right? What is our Jordan River? What is the barrier in our life that looks like, you know what? I'm not getting around this one. There's no way. I can't get over it. I can't get under it. I can't get around it. This thing is really in the way. And I can never be used by God because of this. I can never have God's blessing in my life because of this. What is it that's in the way? And like Joshua, we know, even as he's promised, that the hardest thing here is the first step, right? Getting into the river and then watching God do his miracle. Let me ask you this. What do you do when you know something is God's will? You know it's the right thing to do, but you're scared to death to do it. Well, what do you do? Well... You do it anyway. If you know it's the right thing to do and you do it in spite of your fear, guess what? You're going to move against your fear and you do the right thing you fear the most. You fight the fear. And fundamentally, what is that? Well, it's it's simply courage. Now, I want us to see very clearly here. Courage isn't that fear is absent, but what it is, it's moving ahead in spite of the fear where we say, what do I do when I know it's the right thing, but I don't have the faith? I do it anyway. And you know what happens with that? Once we start doing it, the faith will come. The faith comes once you make that step. And then the miracle comes once we make that step. We need to see here that God doesn't do the miracle and then, oh, it's okay. No, he wants you, he wants me to step out to launch into the faith. Again, the writer of Ecclesiastes says to us in chapter 11, verse 4, If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. And most of us would like to wait for the perfect conditions, and then we can step out. But that's not the way we do it. In fact, God's word encourages us to face our fears. And so here, I want to go back to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. But I want to use the message version where it says, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. 
He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. So let's say it again. We talked about it earlier. You cannot imagine, even begin to imagine what God could do with your life if it was totally, completely, and irrevocably in his hands for each of us, you and me, that we couldn't imagine what he could do with you because of what? The simple fact that we're made in his image and that we were made by him to be used by him. And I have to say that there is no greater thrill than allowing us to be used by God. That there's nothing that even comes close to the feeling of when you know that God is using you for his purpose to help somebody else. And when that happens, you go, now I know why I'm here. This is right. This is good. This is what I'm here for. This is why God made me. And I have to say that there's no thrill like knowing that, that you're in the niche that God has created for you. Now let me say this, if you are not being used by God, what in the world are you doing with your life? Well, I can tell you this much, you're wasting it. And the truth is, as we've said through this series, that most people never ever feel the thrill of being used by God, even though that's what they were made for. And why is that? Well, for most people, they won't let go of doubt and they won't look for a promise and they won't lean on the Lord and they won't launch out in faith. And so I implore you not to make that mistake. Don't even think about making that mistake. And let me ask you this. What are you doubting that God could do in your life? Because we know doubt will cause us to miss God's best. There's going to be a day coming where we're going to stand before Jesus and we're going to have to give an account for our life. And it's those doubts that are going to seem pretty, pretty pathetic when we say them out loud, right? What should we quit praying about and just start doing? In fact, most people use prayer as an excuse to not do something, right? Well, I'm praying about it. I'm praying about getting into Bible study, or I'm praying about tithing, or I'm praying about even going to church. I'm praying about using my talents for God. Why don't you just stop praying and start doing? And so let's pray. Father, we admit that we often have doubts. We have doubts about our abilities, about you, and about your desire to use us. Forgive each of us for all the excuses we've used to cover up our lack of faith. Many of us have said I was too busy, or I've said that others were better qualified, or we've said that my hurts and my past prevented me from serving you. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for comparing ourselves to others. And so today we pray your Holy Spirit will help us let go of doubt and to launch out in faith. I want you to use my life and I want you to bless my life. Help me to stay in your word. Help me to read the Bible, to study it and to memorize it so I can know and claim your promises. I want to trust you to use me. Please take the little seed in my heart and make it grow. We pray it in your strong name, Jesus. Amen.